Let's look at these verses now. Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. I am excited. Sermon series in the book of Hebrews. Let's give our full attention to this, okay? I'll read it for us. This is God's word. Starting at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, and then jump into one more verse in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. This is God's word so far. As we launch into the book of Hebrews, I recall the 2016 film, I recommended it was entitled the arrival arrival there's a linguistics professor played by amy adams who leads an elite team and they're all in a panic and a rush they must find a way to have intelligible communication with these extraterrestrial beings there are 12 ginormous ships that touch down on planet earth Seemingly random locations. And these ginormous ships, of course, all it does is it brings dread. And I think it's a fine film. Atmospheric, well played. I think the soundtrack is spectacular. I recommend it. Here, in the, uh, in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we are told God himself has had no difficulty, no issues in communicating with the very people he loves, the people he made in love. It says, at many times and in many ways. Through voices, dreams, fires, animals talking, miraculous signs and wonders, diverse ways, and of course through his prophets, his prophets, his messengers. Also it says, at many times, repeatedly, Repeatedly, God communicated and spoke. He wants relationship with the very people he made. But of course, the story of our lives and the story of of human history is there has been a massive communication breakdown, massive communication breakdown. The sound goes in and out. But that massive breakdown comes from our end alone. You see, quite frankly, after the shock and awe and maybe the hype and excitement of God speaking to us, all of us, all of us tend to reject it. We actually don't like what God has to say. Well, let's be frank. We don't want God to speak into too many areas of our lives. And so we forget it. We ignore it. We actually even become contemptuous over it, and we defy it. So, so here's what God did. After many different ways and many different times, 
God took the most extraordinary measure to speak to us in one final way. A better way. So today is about the finality of God in communication. God did not have to, but he did in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, the theme of this majestic book is simply, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Today, Jesus is better than all previous communication channels, all previous communication methods, and all the multiple times. So we're just going to unpack that as we begin this letter. Unpack what do we mean by the finality of God in communication? What does that mean? Second, where to get it? Third, who has it? Fourth, why does this matter? Okay, the finality of God in communication. What is it? Where do we get it? Who has it? Why does this matter? First, what? What is this? Finality more than suggests that God is offering his clearest revelation. 4D, 5D, HD, whatever's coming out. This is the final revelation. There is no more clearer way that God is going to show and speak of himself. It's better than textbooks. It's better than TikTok. It's better than Zoom. It's better than all the virtual stuff that I know most of us are getting tired of. But God says, I am going to communicate to you in the most direct, reflective, accurate way. I'm going to send my son. God has spoken to us in his son. And Jesus talks just like God. Jesus acts just like God. Jesus, according to verse 3, is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, in the scriptures, glory always captures the visible brightness and brilliance of God. Somewhat like the planet, the sun, the sun. How visibly bright and brilliant is the sun? It is blinding, frankly. You cannot stare upon it too long. You should not do so. But now we are speaking of the author, the creator of the sun and thousands of planets whose own son came down so that we would not be blinded and overwhelmed and crushed, but he would give us the radiance of his visible, bright brilliance. The author goes on to say he is the exact what in the ESV? The exact imprint of his nature. The Greek word for that is character. Character. God spoke and showed himself in the clearest, most vivid, in-person flesh and blood way in his son Jesus. The radiance of his glory, the exact character, imprint of his nature. Second, what finality would suggest. Uh, it's complete. It's complete. You know, the author is saying, it's not like God left something important out. There's revisions or editing that's going to be needed. Especially if the current and culture changes, maybe God needs to update some things. Past tense, God has spoken by his son, meaning there's completion to this. You see, 
In the past, God having to speak in many, many different ways and at many, many different times means it was always incomplete. You see, in the past, even if you had prophets come and do miraculous things, you were still getting just bits and pieces. It was not sufficient. It was not crystal clear. And it, it had not yet been completed. But in these last days, Hebrews tells us, which means since the writing of the book of Hebrews, until the return of Jesus Christ, whom we worship and believe today, has risen from the dead. Since the beginning, or the writing of Hebrews, until the return of Jesus as judge and savior of all, this entire period is called the last days. So we're living in the last days. And what this means is there is no more clearer revelation that has been given or no more clearer revelation to come. There is no more complete revelation that has ever been given. And there's no more completion to come until Jesus comes back. See, God has spoken with, with what? Finality, finality. Now, there are a lot of people even within evangelical Christian circles or churches that want to make up more of what God has said. They are really into, well, I really think God means this and God actually meant that and I'm going to create more rules, more laws, more binding restrictions. I mean, people love to make more things about what God has said about dieting and drinking and dating and dancing of course, it now comes down to homeschooling, whether or not you should do it. And even if you do homeschool, how you should homeschool. Whether or not you should get vaccinated or not. Like people think like God has spoken so clearly about whether you should vaccinate or not. Empire building, money making, war waging, people manipulating, people abusing, people enslaving, people oppressing. All can be made up. Actually, by saying, God told me this, and now I'm telling you. But we ought to be very sober-minded and careful. No, you see, this is why you must discern and know the scriptures. What has God really said? And he has given it to us clearly, and he's given it to us completely. Don't add to the completion of what God has said. You're always going to run into destruction by doing this. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who want to... Get rid of what God has said. They want to make less of what God has said. We don't like what God has said. You know, take this most popular mantra that we all basically, in effect, live by. No one has to teach you to do this. You're trained and discipled to do it. Nobody, nobody, nobody can tell me what I can do with my body. Nobody tells me what I can do with my body. Nobody tells me if I can put a shot into my body. And nobody, especially if I'm a woman, can tell me what to do with that baby in my body. Now, you see, if God has not spoken to those matters, you're right. Nobody should tell you. In fact, this pastor up here should never tell you with any kind of binding authority over your life. If God has not said these things, there is nothing to appeal to. But God has spoken. God has spoken. How? In his son. In his son with finality. That's clear and that's complete. Last thing, I already implied it. By finality, it means authority. By finality, it means authority. It means, you know, I'll get the last say. That's God. Okay, okay, it's good. We've had all this debate and discussion. 
we've heard all your complaints and all your special circumstances and all the exemptions, everything. And then at the end of the day, what this is claiming, the scriptures are claiming, is that God says, okay, um, but I'm going to get the last word. And how much authority does God have? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Through whom he created the world. He has spoken in his son, and then through whom? Through Jesus, the word, he's created the whole world. How much authority does the word of God have? It brought everything into being, everything out of nothing. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And look at the second half. And he, up, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There is so much authority in the word of God that right now you would not be alive, literally, apart from Jesus speaking for you to be alive. That's what verse 3 is saying. Not only by the word of Jesus Christ was the whole world, all of the cosmos brought into being, your heart would stop breathing, beating, your brains would stop working. You could not understand these words that are coming out of my mouth right now, apart from... The authority that Jesus has in his word upholding and sustaining all of life. All of life. Oh, the finality of God. The finality of God. Clearest, complete, and authoritative communication. Now, where do you get this? Where do we get it? Where do you get that, that kind of creating life-sustaining, life-giving authority of God. Precisely, to be exact, it's in the Bible. Breathed out by God, by the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, that centers and culminates upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Question, why can't I or you derive divine authority elsewhere? Now, when I say divine authority, I'm talking about God-level authority. God-level speak. Infallible, without error, pure, perfect, clear, complete. That level of authority. Well, why can't you get that outside of the Bible? Well, it's because the Bible, this book, most popular, most popularly sold to this day, has been tried and true over time, like no other book. It's been scrutinized. And it, it's, it's been trying to, some of you have tried to prove that it's completely a fraud. But it stood. And it's actually changed so many people's lives. Let me get a little bit closer. If you're curious about Christianity, if you want to convert to become a Christian, or if you want to grow as a Christian, Jesus unlocks all of it. See, Jesus is the central figure you got to deal with. And look at how Jesus treated the Holy Scriptures. Throughout the entirety of his life, he submitted to it. He honored it. He loved it. He memorized it. He ran to it and quoted it when he was in his deepest, darkest troubles. He obeyed it. And then he said, every single little part, every single itty bitty little part of these holy scriptures 
will come to pass is true. You see, Christian people take their cues from Jesus who unlocks all of what Christianity is about. Jesus never appealed to a higher divine authority outside of or apart from the scriptures. Now, I think this is more remarkable. In Jesus' day, on one occasion, he was surrounded by religious experts, which was often the case because they were so envious and jealous. They were just in awe. They knew there was something magical or special about him, and all the crowds were following him, and he was performing miracles, and he was saying crazy things like he was actually equal with God. And on one day before the revered religious experts, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verses 45 to 47. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. <laughs> if you pay attention and if you get what the religious experts got, you might want to kill Jesus. Because that is what ended up, ended up happening to him. This got him crucified. Here's what Jesus is saying. The words of God are the same as my own words. That's what he's claiming. Jesus equates his own words and your response to his own words as equal to, parallel to, straight up, same as your response to if God showed up and spoke to you. It's like Jesus went around and said, you know, I'm going to quote God. Here's I'm going to quote God. I'm going to quote myself. And Jesus... The way he obeyed and submitted to the scriptures as his highest authority, he actually comes around and he starts to claim, um, these are my words. This is my authority. I'm equal with God. We authored this whole book together. Now, either Jesus is dead wrong, which got him crucified, or he's full of life and truth. There's no other book in the world that records these kinds of claims except the Bible you ought to read it. You ought to really read it all the way through first. There's no other book that claims such things. Shouldn't you at least know, give it a fair shot. Like give it a real try. Is this true or is it absolutely insane? What is finality? Where to get it in the Holy Scriptures? Third. It's a question. Who has it? Who has it? I'll put it this way. How does God have finality with you apart from complete and clear words outside of you? Yeah, I'll put it a different way. How does God exercise authority in your life? Can you describe how, when, where, what, why? How does God exercise, if you believe in God, authority over your life if it isn't coming from the Holy Scriptures? Or you might say, well, I just go with it. I have religious instincts. I have good feelings. I let that be my guide. You know, the perfect cultural moment right now, the trendiest thing among churches is this, so therefore I'm going to follow that. Oh, pastor, I prayed and fasted for 30 days and I came back and I am quite certain this is what God told me. Wonderful. I've never done 30 days. Maybe someday. 
But how do you know after you came back from 30 days that what you feel is from God is actually from God? Rather than a God that you've imagined or preferred or liked or fashioned into your own image. How would you know? You see, who has finality in your life? And I'll tell you, for a Christian person, finality only can come from complete and clear and authoritative words outside of me. Outside of me. You know, has God ever made you shudder and just stop you in your tracks? Uh, some of you, it's so happy to uh, be back in person, but some of you sin and, and you know it's sinful and you just keep sinning for years and years and years and nothing, I mean nothing is going to get you to stop. But do you know who can? Do you know who has enough authority? Do you know who has enough power to course correct and convict you and correct you and turn you around? We were challenged this week by Pastor Dinko and our staff meeting on Tuesdays. Gave a wonderful devotional. And part of what he quoted was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. It starts by saying, flee youthful passions. And then it goes on and says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You know, as your pastor, but a fellow Christian brother... I get tempted. I get really tempted, especially online, because we haven't been meeting in person, to get into fights. Do you know how many people are looking for fights these days? They are inciting, provoking, making the most unfair like characterizations, just throwing out there, hoping someone will respond so they can debate you online. Here's what the scriptures come along and say. Christian people, do you know that you ought to not look for fights? Don't be quarrelsome. Don't go after the conflict just because you love conflict. Don't be contrarian just because you like being contrarian. Don't do this just because you like proving how smart or how right you are. No, but Christian people, be kind to all. That's what it says. I can't make that up. I wish it didn't say that. It says be kind to all and then... Teach with all gentleness so that people may come around to repentance and believe in the truth. How does God, your God, have finality with you apart from words outside of you? You know, how do you know that God loves you and strengthens you? How can you really know that God loves you? How can you bank on that? When all your present circumstances tell you otherwise. Oh, in Romans chapter 8 at the end it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons. And he goes through a list of all the things that could come in the way of you believing and feeling that God lo loves you. And he closes, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, does God ever differ from you? Does God ever contradict you? Does God ever get in your way and stop you and course correct? Or does God love you and comfort you and strengthen you in spite of everything that's falling apart around you? 
a little closer to home. How does God pick you up and keep you going like never before? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, let us now run with endurance. Run with endurance. If you want to know how to run and finish your Christian life with endurance, read the rest of the verse. It tells you how. So it all boils down to this. Who has finality in your life? Here's what it boils down to. It's a practical pattern. Who has the last word? Who do you obey? Who has the last word? Who gets the last word in and who do you obey? Oh, the finality of God, although he didn't have to. Clearest, complete, authoritative revelation. It's here, divine authority. No other level of authority can exceed or surpass what's here in the scriptures. Look at how Jesus treated and spoke of it. Who has it? Do you obey? Do you submit yourself under it? We're going to close with this. Why does this matter? Why does this matter, Pastor? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the word for close attention is to, it's much stronger than what you would assume. It's to obsess over something. It's to pour over it. Close in the English language doesn't really come close. Obsessive. About what? The message you've heard or the message you could read and study. You see, the main audience of Hebrews is a people that like to drift. It's a people who have very short-term spiritual memory. They have amnesia. It's a people who like to waver. It's a people who are indecisive. It's a people who get really tired. It's a people who feel isolated. It's a people who want to give up. It's a people who question, is this really worth it? It's a people who are really broken and weak. It's a people who question again and again and again and again, look at all that's happening in my life. Really? Is this something that I should continue to do? And to the most wavering drifting people, he says, we must obsess and pour over the word of God, because if you don't, we drift. And the image of that is a boat out at sea, which you might have seen in the trailer, with no anchor. And if you grew up anywhere near the sea or the ocean, you know the waves and the winds, just the normal waves and winds with no anchor on a little boat. It's going to make that boat just drift and drift and drift out to who knows what direction. And then there's these things called sufferings and storms of life. There's these things called hurricanes and hurts of life. Not only are there the normal winds and the normal waves that would cause this boat to drift farther away, then... You are very vulnerable to all kinds of devastation or shipwreck or being drowned or dashed against the rocks when storms and hurricanes come into your life. And the scary thing about drifting is this. Is you don't notice it's happening. It's really casual. Because it takes no effort. 
you know, spiritually speaking, your life and my life drift and drift and drift, moves further and further and further and further away. Then storms and all kinds of havoc comes into your life. And the one you have drifted from is so far away. You actually start to believe he doesn't care about you. And he doesn't want to hear from you. And he has nothing left to give you. Do you know why this matters so much? Because drifting happens all the time. And if you don't notice you're drifting and you don't care that you're drifting, I'll give you a clue, though. The first thing to go when you drift is close attention to the Word of God. Always. It's close obsession, pouring over the Word of God. You, do you know how much I love seeing you in person? Do you know how much I love even the blessings I feel in preparing and thinking of you, of how this might help and strengthen you after a long period of time that we've been able to meet together? Do you know how much joy and life that gives me? But I also want to warn you, as much as I love our church in its attentiveness and hunger and eagerness, at least on Sunday morning, for about an hour or so, but if this is your only exposure, this is the only time you give any attention to the world Word of God and the rest of the six days you are just drifting I mean drifted Monday through Saturday hardcore all the way I would just suggest to you how else do you think why do you think so many compulsions and anxieties and sins are besetting your life when you're getting six days of drift and there's no obsession and pouring over the word of God you lose contact with God when you lose contact with the Word of God. It's that simple. No matter what you think and feel about your spiritual condition, according to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, if you're not obsessive about the Word of God, you're drifting. You're drifting. Oh, so how do you feel about right now? How do you feel about this right now? You know, I grew up in church, and all through junior high and high school, I don't remember a sermon except one. No matter how many times I was told, Harold, read the Bible, study the Bible, you should be disciplined in the Bible. Quite frankly, I thought it was a dread. I thought it was boring, and it was actually threatening. That's really what I thought. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, that God gives us a better and final word. You see, pay close attention to the word actually really means pay much, 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 much more closer attention to who the word is really all about. And God in his final and better word didn't come to threaten you, but he gave you a gift. He gave you a gift that's going to give you life. He gave you a gift that's going to make you live forever. He gave you a gift that's going to have you feel the love of God in your life. The better and final word is verse 3. Jesus Christ, the second half, who made purification for sins, sat down at the right of the majesty on high. 
having become as much superior to angels. More on that next week in verse 4. Superior to angels, the supremacy of Jesus. Because you know what you need most this morning? Do you know what you really need the most? What I need the most? It's not a better spouse at home. It's not better kids or better family if you have kids. It's not a better job with better income and better benefits. It's not even a better identity or better gender. It's not a better church. It's not a better commute. It's not a better president. It's not a better country. It's not a better century. It's not a better experience of falling in love or re-falling in love. You need something better than even if all your hopes and dreams came true. Because can I level with you? Can I speak in the clearest way I can, knowing that God has revealed through scriptures? Because when you and I stand before an altogether holy God who has perfect integrity... God requires a far, far better you. Do you know how any of us can bear to be anywhere close to God? Here's what he says. Uh, I, uh, I need you to be perfect. An absolutely perfect you. And this is why what you and I need the most is a far, far, far better salvation, a far better Savior. And only Jesus Christ alone qualifies. And today, as we come back in person, we get to pour and obsess over Him by taking communion. Do you know what you're missing the most in your life? Is an actual pouring obsessive love for what Jesus has done for you. He fell silent. He lost contact with God. He was shut out. The word of God was absent in his life so that the word of God would never leave you alone and never fall silent with you. Jesus Christ voluntarily came down. He did not have to. He came down, jumped overboard, went into that shipwreck, got dashed against the rocks at the cross so that you can be rescued and recovered and anchored down in the only one who can give you life that never ends. This is the finality of God. A much better word. Jesus, Jesus, and he is far better than anything you're chasing right now, and he's even better than the things you feel like you're losing right now, and this is why we come to the table, so we can sense that in full. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you, God, that you have spoken in Jesus, ultimately in a way to save and love us, not to get rid of us, 
And I pray, O oh Lord, by the movement and power of your spirit now as we celebrate communion, Lord, bring our dead senses alive so we might obsess and fall in love and know the love of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.